You're listening to The Doctor's Companion, brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. edition of the doctor's companion i'm scott corelli and i'm matt smith but i'm not that matt smith we're from mindrobber.net the home site of mindrobber productions where we talk about all the things on podcasts like this one the doctor's companion as stated before <laughs> uh where we talk about doctor who and then there's the mind robbers where we pick a show we love and we talk about it episodically currently we're covering justice league uh, the DC animated universe Bruce Tim series, uh, and then soon Justice League Unlimited, and then uh, next year we're going to start taking on Veronica Mars um, as we uh, ramp up toward the Veronica Mars movie. So that's what's going on in the Mind Robbers Versus. That's also where you can find our in-depth, spoiler-filled review of Breaking Bad, uh, which is wrapping up, which just wrapped up. Um, in fact, and uh, we'll be talking about it there. But as of this recording, we haven't seen it, so uh, we have no idea what the, how that's going to go. Should be interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> should be very interesting. Uh, but that's where you can find that, as well as any uh, movie reviews that we're gonna we, we might feel like talking about. I think next week we're going to be covering Gravity, uh, unless something horrible goes wrong. Mm. Um, yeah, because uh, you never know. Um, there's some movies where we were like, yeah, we're definitely talking about that. And then we didn't. Elysium. <laughs> um, <laughs> then there's our flagship podcast, The Mind Rowers, where we basically talk about everything else. Uh, if you like our shows, uh, please review them, uh, on iTunes because that helps us out a lot. If you have other, any other questions, comments, concerns, you can email those to us, podcast at If you want to start a discussion, Find the post of this episode on the website, mindrobber.net, and leave a comment. We've been getting comments lately. It's nice. It's nice. It is nice. Yeah, keep them coming. It's good. Uh, and then most importantly, though, tell your friends, you know, because uh, that's – look, peer pressure works. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> it's how I started cigarettes. It's how I started cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. I don't smoke. I really don't smoke. <laughs> um, all right. So today on on the show, we're talking about Father's Day. Yeah. Father's Day, um, which is uh, which is uh, from the Ninth Doctor era, the first uh, the first season back, um, and uh, Paul Cornell, who we met, we did, we met. I personally thanked him for this episode, and I stand by that. Yeah, because yeah. good lord, and we um, and we bonded over things. We did, <laughs> we did. Um, he's very upset that he's not writing anymore Doctor Who. You guys, we should start a. We should we should really just. Start a writing letter campaign. I mean, really. Yeah. Um, not that Moffat cares about fans because he doesn't. And he never has. Um, okay. So <laughs> Father's Day. Um, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of background significance for this. There usually aren't in these uh, in these uh, new Who stories. But uh, what do you got? Well, I mean, the thing to start with is uh, it's important to note where 
um, Paul Cornell comes from because if you just kind of look at it, it's the sort of thing where it seems like he comes out of nowhere. Uh, if you don't know these things, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, he just Russell T. Davies picked four writers he likes. Um, I'm I'm being a lowest common denominator here. Uh, Paul Cornell is actually the one person on this list of four writers who aren't Russell T. Davies on the first season. The four being Gatiss, Sherman, uh, Robert Sherman, and uh, Stephen Moffat. Uh, Cornell's the one who uh, comes out, and you know you should be like, and and is basically like uh, uh, famous. <laughs> he was a big writer in the mid early mid nineties. He was a writer for the Virgin new adventures, which were, uh, novels like children's novels, sort of that picked up where, uh, the doctor who left off and was basically like the flag carrier until the TV movie. And Paul Cornell is significant because he was one of the first writers on it. He wrote like the third book, third or fourth book t- called time worm Genesis. Um, which <clears throat> fundamentally kind of changed Doctor Who in its own weird way. Uh, and then he went on to write a bunch of other really popular stories like Love and War, uh, which introduced uh, Bernice Summerfield, who's a companion, as a companion who is this character who's still around today. Like, they're still making stories and lines and ranges about her all over the place. Um, uh, and then he also did the 50th story, which was called Happy Endings. Um, and he also did, uh, he, he did the first uh, Missing Adventure, uh, which I don't forget. I don't remember what that one was called, but he did like after Virgin line was so successful that they were like, let's just do a bunch of old doctor stories. And Paul Cornell was the first writer on that. And he also wrote uh, human nature, which was the most popular and, uh, considered the critical best of the new adventures, um, which they eventually re- made into a, uh, doctor who story, which we're going to be talking about very soon. Um, yeah, we're just, we're just burning through the Paul Cornell. <laughs> it's um. not like it's hard. Um, <laughs> no, so, I know that's what I'm. But it like it was like it's like practically in a row. I yeah. mean, <laughs> it's it is. It we is. just we just light the match and go. It's we fine. really we really do. Let's just let's just <laughs> burn it. Huh? Yeah. So he he's brought in, and Russell T Davies gives him this idea where um one of the one of the stories that Russell T Davies wants to do is uh he comes up with a log line that is just Rose's dad, um and he comes up with this idea for Rose to go back in time. Uh, and watch her father die over and over and over again because Russell T. Davies loves pain. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> he loves it. Uh, and then has um, the do- meanwhile, the doctor stuck in 2005 listening to uh, Rose's mother talk about her father, her widowed husband, I suppose, or her husband. Um, so that was the idea. And Paul Cornell came in and like had some ideas of his own. And they weren't they weren't supposed to do any monsters, but but. Cornell was just like, eh, what a monster. So they did a monster. Um, and it was supposed to have no special effects. And then it ended up having a bunch of special effects. Um, yeah. I don't think the story would have worked as well without the monster because then there was no threat. Yeah, the threat. It needs the threat. Um, yeah. It uh, needs the visual threat. Yeah. Because the story is so emotional, it needs a physical threat to tie it down, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, to make it like Doctor Who. Stakesy. Yeah. So. Stakesy. Uh, and they got director Joey Hearnay. It was this was the third block of stories that they shot. The first block being like Rose, Aliens of London, World War Three, um, and then they shot another couple stories, and then they shot this and Dalek together. So this is Joey Hearnay uh, or Hearn. I don't really know how to pronounce his name, but uh, uh, Christopher Eccleston's favorite director. So if Stephen Moffat had gotten Joey Hearnay to direct Day of the Doctor, uh, apparently Eccleston would have been in it. Like that's what Eccleston said. Um, mm. uh, hey, Hearnay, you, you know might what? Know- 
would not have been opposed to that happening. I'm not opposed to it either, uh, yeah. for reasons we'll talk about. Um, but uh, and I would also go on to direct uh, Boomtown and the season finale, Bad Wolf, Parting of the Ways. So that's where this story comes from. Uh, and Paul um, I think uh, I think it's interesting because it seems to me, just as there is usually a Doctor Light story and a Companion Light story every uh, every season, there tends to be. Uh, an emotional, like a like a heavy emotional story, every season, mm. um, even into the Moffat era, really. Um, and I think that this is that episode this season. And like, yes. I don't, I don't know. Second season would probably be what Girl in the Fireplace, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, third season, uh, Gridlock. Gridlock? Not Gridlock. Mm. No, there's another one that I'm not. I'm not remembering. Um, 42. It's 42. <laughs> 42. It's 42. Um, but, human uh, nature. But it, human nature. Human nature. Yeah, probably human nature. I don't know, but it, there tends to be like like heavy emotional ones where it's just like this heavy emotional gut punch. It usually has something to do with the companion as well in their mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this one takes the cake for me. I mean, a clo- I would say a close second to this one. Um, it, for the emotional gut punch of it all, it's probably the girl who waited, um, mm-hmm. which is oh, so good um, <laughs> in a season that's so bad. Um, <laughs> I keep forgetting. Like I, I, I have I have such like emotional scarring from that season that I always forget that that's that that season has like three amazing stories. Like yeah, four amazing stories. I'll give I'll even give it an impossible astronaut, but like four amazing stories. But the rest yeah. of it is such mediocre to crap that i'm just yeah. like oh my god yeah Why impossible astronaut just hurts because of uh because of the finale um <laughs> if, if if wedding of river song wasn't as complete just smelly garbage as it is um impo- like i think we would look back much more fondly on that story because at the time i remember that blew our minds Oh, no, it's still like I still think about it. And I just think that like Impossible Astronaut is one of the most exciting, daring Moffat stories. Like I still think yeah. of that, that that way. Yeah. Like the opening teaser is six and a half minutes and it feels like two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nuts. Nuts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just uh, I I uh, I like the emotional ones. I do. I wish they would do it more. But I feel like um, I feel like people get tired of it. Like like you know, silly Doctor Who fans not liking emotion in their science fiction, um, which is funny because I feel like a lot of people like this story. You know, like I I feel like this is one that's really, really, really well respected and really well liked. I think it's hard not to, um, really. But yeah. I I don't know. I feel like I I talk to a lot of, of of Doctor Who fans, and they're always like way more into like the big flashy stories than the smaller mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, all right, so we're going to talk about it. Before we do, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS is the site that lets you pre-order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, anything you can get from a local comic book shop. You place your orders roughly three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 75% off and regular discounts of 40% off, which is not too shabby. Ship often as you like with orders as large or small as you like. You only pay six ninety five in flat rate shipping, regardless. So thanks to DCBService.com. Um, okay, so Father's Day. Uh, this is it's it's funny because like when I was when I was talking about it to you just before the show, 
I'd forgotten that this was like very nearly a bottle episode. Um, Mm -hmm. it takes them 20 minutes to get to the, to the, to the sequence, which would be considered the bottle sequence. Mm -hmm. But then it's really like the rest of the episode is that, um, Mm -hmm. which is a great way to keep your budget down. I can imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, lots of shots of monsters through stained glass windows, which means they're just a- amorphous blobs, um, <laughs> which makes which makes the digital work, I'm sure, a breeze. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's it's just it's it's I think that this is like easily this is probably in my top five um, of New Who. Honestly, mm. um, I love this story. Like it gets me every time. Every single time I get choked up at least three times. Every time I watch this, mm-hmm. um, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it's incredibly well directed. Um, I like the way that, uh, Paul Cornell finds very easy cheats to work around all of the paradoxes and things. Um, uh, and I think that that's really it's it's just it's really great. Like just as soon as as soon as Rose like crosses in front of the the other her and saves her father, it's just like okay, yep, nope, everything resets, they disappear, and it's just it's I don't know, it's just very um, it's very simple, mm-hmm. and it works really well. And I mean that's the thing about time paradoxes it, is it's just like it's like Back to the Future, which I you know for my money is like probably my favorite use of time travel in anything. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it sets up its rules and it says, these are the rules. This is what happens. Just don't think about it. Cause as soon as you start thinking about it, you're like, well, that doesn't actually make any sense. There's mm-hmm. a million paradoxes going on. Um, but this has a way of, uh, of, of really making the, the world that, that, uh, the, the rules like pay for, for breaking them. Like it makes the characters pay for breaking the rules. And I think it does it in a really interesting way. Um, that's, that leaves not as many questions. Um, or at least like tricks the audience into not asking questions, which is nice. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I think that's really when it comes down to time travel and time paradoxes, that's really the best that you can do is, uh, uh, do, do like do, use the rules of time travel in such a way where it's so simple and feels so organic that nobody asks any questions. Um, mm-hmm. I really think that's the best you can do because, you know, at the end of the day, time travel really doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, I think it's one I, of those things we really this, shouldn't play with at all. <laughs> yeah. Is this the most, is this the most, uh, time paradoxical story up until, uh, blink? Mm, no, I would argue that modern undead is a little more paradoxical, um, which we're talking about next week of all things. Oh. Um, cause modern undead is based on a massive time loop. Um, oh yeah, that's right. I've seen yeah. that one. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. No, we're watching it again next week. That's what's next week. Yeah. Um, it's weird that we're talking about those two back to back. Um, yeah. these two back to back. Um, Works. no, yeah, I, I agree about, um, I agree about everything that you're saying. And I think that the key to it is also like, um, and it's, it's something that I, I do think is lost in the Moffat era. And I'm going to try to keep my criticisms to a minimum because watching this and then wa- thinking about the Moffat era makes me really angry. Um, but I look at this and you're right. There is a simplicity here and there is like a, a very effective, like setup payoff instantly. Like they don't, you know, like you get the instance that something bad is happening, but once the Reapers start attacking, 
all of the when they hit a punt when they do something wrong they're punished for it instantly um which really just ties up everything so that you don't have any threads um which i think is a key was a key but i think more importantly what i like about a hirane's direction or a here i don't know how to pronounce his name joe's direction <laughs> What I like about uh, his direction here is that it reminded me a lot of something like Ed Wood, um, which we just watched for The Mind Robbers just a couple weeks ago. And one of the things I uh, was struck by with Ed Wood is there's a part where he just goes, uh, no one's going to care about the mistakes. No one's going to care about um, uh, my lack of quality. No one's going to care about production value so long as the emotional core in the story is true. Um, And I think that that's the key here is that – as as much as there's things where you can tell that the show this episode has no budget like really does not have a budget um they go for emotional realism rather than practical realism and i think that that's like the key to why it it's true because like at the end of the day everything has plot holes but the better your emotions are and the better your pathos is the less people are really going to care about those things like at the end of the episode all that really matters is that you're just like really kind of heartbroken, but you feel good about it. Um, and that's, I think that's, I think what's really important about it. And that's what, that's what a direction does. And that's what Cornell's writing does. And that's what everyone is really caring about. They're really caring about the emotion of, uh, the scene, the emotion of the story and the through line of that. And I think that that's the key. Like that's why the story works. And it's why something like the wedding of river song doesn't because the wedding of river song, uh, like at the end of the, like at the end of the day, this is about, Rose trying to reconcile with the fact that she's never had a father and she's always wanted to connect with him in some way. And she gets that. At the end of the day, what is the Wedding River song about? Nothing. Like, emotionally. Like, I, I don't... Timey-wimey! There's no, <laughs> no answer to that. And I think that that's like, that ends up being the problem. And But whereas this is just like, this is like, heart-wrenching. It's so hard to watch at points where it's just like, the pain that is that is given the... That everything is so good. Um, and it's so, I mean, it's all, I mean, that's all Cornell and it's all here and just shooting around it and making it work. Um, and then doing things that are just like not the easy choice. Like it's, it's very clear early on that, that, you know, uh, you start with this, with this bit where Jackie's talking to young Rose. And she's like, your father was a saint. And very quickly it becomes obvious that he was not a saint. Mm-hmm. All the way to the point where right before they enter the church, um, it's, it's, Rose finds out that her father was like messing around with other women. And what's key there is that they don't really say that he didn't. In fact, he actually doesn't deny it. He just says, oh, you'd think that of me? We're really like, oh, so you did? Like, yeah, that's not the easy choice to do. And yet it's one of those things where it's like, this is the story about how he needs to become a real father for five minutes yeah. um, and how those five minutes make the world. Because like, I don't I, shocking. Like, I just think that that is not the easy choice to make. Um, and they do it and it's ballsy and it works. Um, yeah. and I love that. You know? Yeah. It's so great. No, it's, and, it's, it's a beautiful story. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just, it's, it's, oh, it's so good. Mm hmm. It's uh, it's also interesting because I think from the doctor's perspective, it's really interesting um, looking at Eccleston's doctor here. And I feel like more so than just about any story, we kind of see the real doctor in this story, um, mm-hmm. or at least the most boiled down version of him. Because you have this great scene where 
you know, Rose says, I want to see my father like in real life because I don't have any real memories of him. So I just want to see him. So they go to the wedding of Jackie and, and Pete and she's like watching in the audience and she's just sort of like watching it in this way of like, like, oh, I thought he'd be taller. Like this is this is this is weird that I'm seeing this, but I'm fascinated, but I'm so weirded out that I can't really enjoy myself. And you look over, you see the doctor and the doctor is just on cloud nine because he's just so amused by all of this. And he's looking at her like, this is great, right? And he's he has this look on his face where he's confused about like why she isn't having the same reaction that she, that, that that he's having to this mm-hmm. um, because he has that disconnect with her and with humanity mm-hmm. um, because of what he did during the time war. And I think that that it it goes a long way in the in rose like teaching the doctor to be human in a way um yes. which is you know what leads us to uh the 10th doctor and the way that he is and mm-hmm. and so like i think that there's a lot here about their relationship and what rose does for the doctor um what what she means for the doctor and i just there's a, just a lot of little subtle things um that are that are happening because the one thing that you, you the one thing that I'll say about Matt Smith and about David Tennant is like they're both really great doctors, but they're not exactly subtle. Whereas mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleston is quite possibly the most subtle doctor that we've ever had. Yeah, uh, um, he is everything that he's done. He's doing every every decision he's making, every every acting choice he's making. It has just layers upon layers about what's mm-hmm. going on in this guy's head. Um, and I find the more I watch him, the more fascinating I find uh, his performance. Yeah. He's one of those doctors who like – and I don't think that – I think all of them are very rewatchable. But he's one of the ones who I think you get the most benefit from rewatching. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there are certain things about this that you don't really question the first time. Like the part where he says, you know what? I'm done. You are good in 1987. Enjoy your life with your father. Like, he leaves. Like, he bails on her. Like, yeah. and he's done. And I'm like, I'm just sitting here, and I remember watching this, like, this time, and just being like, that's really shocking. Like, that's actually a really shocking move to do, because he's just so upset. Um, And he actually, the only reason he comes back is because the TARDIS, like, doesn't, is you know, is just a box. Mm-hmm. Um. And and he's and he's just like and he's running around and he's doing all these crazy things. But at the end of the day, he still was just like, "Well, peace. You got what you wanted. Congratulations. You took me for a fool, and I'm really hurt by this. And it's really, like, it's fascinating. Like, it's such a fascinating move for his doctor. Like, especially from a writing perspective, but also from like his thing. I love seeing how angry he is. Like, his anger is so righteous and so, but so like bubbling, like very, very, very understated. And like, he's at the periphery of the scenes where, um. Where Rose returns to the apartment and is just kind of looking around at all the things that her dad was making. And he's just like standing there and he's just looking at her and he just can't stand her. Like he, he finds her an abomination in the way that the, the, the Reapers, these monsters find her an abomination. Um, and that's fascinating. And he totally embraces that and just says, no, this is evil and you're evil right now. And I'm just going to leave. And I'm just like, it's fascinating. That's a, that's a, such an interesting take on the doctor. Um, and it's totally valid. And like, I, I mean, I totally agree about him being boiled down, but I think that the thing that 
that I think that I'm finding most interesting about this is that you look at the other writers of the season and like Davies, I mean, Davies is the guy who's responsible for my vision of the doctor, but Davies had only written like one thing professionally for doctor who before. Um, and that was for the new adventures line. Um, he wrote like one of the stories in the late, in the mid nineties, um, with the seventh doctor, I think was, yeah, it was the seventh doctor. And, um, and then you have Shearman who had written a couple of big finish and you have, uh, Gatiss who had written some big finish and some comics and I think a couple of new adventures or some novels. Moffat who had written Curse of Fatal Death. <laughs> but then you have Paul Cornell who has this really interesting perspective on the Doctor who has been spending a lot of time with this character and who has written some very definitive adventures for him. Um, and I look at this and it's interesting to see how there are echoes of other doctors in there. And those are from writing the line where he says, um, he says, I can do anything, um, at the, in the teaser when, when Rose is just like, can you take me to see him? And he just goes, I can do anything, but be careful what you wish for. That is 100% pure McCoy. Like that is pure McCoy, Mm -hmm. like schemey master chess player doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's and it's fascinating to see him like just get to the core of the character and like not be writing the seventh doctor even though there are a lot of seventh doctor things in here but 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 like you said writing a boilerplate doctor writing a doctor who you know is given realm to play with within the context of Christopher Eccleston and that's like what makes Eccleston shine is just like getting to just do whatever he wants um but I find I just find it so fascinating especially like <laughs> when you get to the end and the doctor just appears again like and and just like steps out of the church and is right next to her and just says go see him like that's pure seventh doctor too um that's just seventh ace like just like it just it reminds me of curse of fenric or remembrance of the daleks or just like one of those great seventh doctor stories um i love Absolutely. that i just i love seeing other doctors done in different ways like in and, and, and Eccleston just makes such a such a bummer we only got him for one season such a such a bummer um, yeah but it's it's I mean, it's a nearly flawless season. Um, yes, yes, is the thing too. Uh, I mean, very nearly flawless, and mm-hmm. I feel like on top of everything else. And I mean, yeah, I would love to have Mark listen. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it was, it was, he was high. I mean, really, not even high. He was, he was top of the list of things that um, I wanted in the fiftieth anniversary, but. At the same time, for whatever reason, the first series of of New Who feels longer than any other season. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know what that is exactly, but it feels longer. Like it, it doesn't feel like we're lacking Eccleston. Um, yeah, at all. Like it doesn't feel like he was the Doctor for as long as Tennant, but it just it doesn't feel like he was the Doctor for a short amount of time either. It's weird. Yeah, it doesn't um, feel like ten stories. Um, no, no, it really not at doesn't. All. And if you compare, if you compare like this first season to the second season, I think it's just, I think it's amongst other things, a lot of quality. Like just because, mm-hmm. like you said, like the only two stories in this season that I can think of that I think are, you know, less than good, and I like one of them, are uh, Unquiet Dead and Aliens in London. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you look at the rest of this, and like the long game is great. Dalek is great. The next two parter is really great. Boomtown, which we're talking about soon, also is really great. Um, and the finale is awesome. And Rose is awesome. And End of the World is awesome. And like, it's just it's it, this it's 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 amazing to me how strong the show comes out. And like just out of the gate, it's so good. And yeah. this 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 story really kind of reaffirms that. Just because you know this is. 
like a, it's one of the first among equals for me in this season. Like I can't I can't think of a story that's better. Like Dalek, I think I enjoy watching more because it's a little bit more actiony and it's a little, it's really intense and it's a cool thriller. Mm-hmm. But this is like this is like the first among equals. I think like I just I look at the season and I'm just blown away by it. I just think it's yeah. so so spectacular. Yeah, for um, me it's for me it's um it's this or Parting of the Ways. Um, oh god, Parting of the Ways is so good too. Like, yeah, th- 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 those are my two favorites. Um, which yeah. is weird because they have that weird connection, uh, also. <laughs> um, uh, which I, which I, and, and I remember that connection happening and it blowing my mind the first time. Yeah. Um, uh, just the callback nature of it. Oh, love the mm-hmm. callback. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, uh, Father's Day is, is, it's kind of a perfect Doctor Who story. I mean, it really is. Um, or not, not necessarily, I'm sorry, not, not a perfect Doctor Who story. It's a perfect new Who story. Like, I feel like Father's Day, <clears throat> in the way that you get that boilerplate doctor, um, mm-hmm. and you get Eccleston doing all of the things, but this is also, I feel like it's, th- this story is, is new who sort of throwing the gauntlet down and saying, like, this is our show now. Yeah. Um, it's capable of this. And I think that that's, I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is, Without this story, I don't think that this show is as successful as it is in the future. Absolutely. Totally agree. Especially because you look at it and it's like so much of the end of this, like after they get to the church, it's literally just a a couple of people in a room talking Mm -hmm. about their relationships and what it's like to be them and watching the doctor like uh, try to figure out what's going on, but also doing it within the context of other things and figuring out the solution. Um, Silence. Like it's it's so it's so so strong. I mean, like I would argue that it's a perfect episode, but it does have one imperfection for me, and that imperfection is uh look. Christopher Eccleston should never take off that leather jacket. I'm sorry. Don't do it. <laughs> Just don't every time I watch this, I'm like doing really is well he, and he takes off Is he always in this has he always been in a sweater? And I Yeah, yeah. Like a V-neck long sleeve. I don't even think it's a sweater, it's just like a long sleeve shirt. It looks no, like No, it's a, a sweater because it, it ties off at the bottom. Oh, does it? Really? It has the yeah, oh. it has the elastic bottom, so it's just a really oh. thin sweater. That's, that's so weird. I always thought so he was weird. in a t-shirt, huh? Yeah, I I thought I thought he was in a. I always thought it was a, like a long sleeve V-neck, and I was just like, that's not your, that's not my doctor. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, it's this idea um, where it's just like you know the doctor should be wearing layers. Like a, a friend of mine said that to me, where I was like, oh no, that's absolutely true. And when the doctor is stacked with layers, he looks better. When there's when you could just peel away the the articles of clothing, whereas like this just really betrays that lie. Where it's like without that jacket, he's nothing. Like <laughs> he's nothing. Um, yeah. And it's and it's really 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 funny. Um, the one other thing I really wanted to mention, well, I wanted to mention two things. One is I love the music from Mary Gold here. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's a, it's a lullaby, which I think is a really nice thing and probably his best music in the first season. Um, just because it gets everything across so perfectly and it's so, so beautiful. Um, he had an embarrassment of riches this season, though. He, he did. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of good music. Um, all over. Uh, well, well, I don't mean I don't mean that. I mean, I mean he has a lot of opportunity to write good music. Oh, I guess um, that's true. Because he was giving like he was given a full doctor, like a full like the complete life of a doctor. So he had to create a theme. He had to create a companion theme. He had like great emotional stuff. 
uh, to work with like this episode. And then he even gets to do a regeneration. Like, <laughs> he had so much stuff to work with. And Daleks. Um, it was insane. And, like creating a definitive Dalek. Oh, theme. yeah. Yeah. With the, with the choral voices and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. I mean, great season for Murray Gold. I think that he gets better. But like this is... I just think yeah. the music on this is iconic. Like this is inseparable from its music. Whenever I think of this music, when this this story, honestly, the thing that I always remember is the 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 slow lullaby theme. Um, always, like that's not even an image. It's just the sound, um, which I think is really important. So there's that, but I think that the other thing that's really important to like just mention and point out is how would ridiculously good billy piper is in this um uh-huh because can i can i just say i don't know if there's if there's really anything more heartbreaking than billy piper crying um i'm not sure there is i i'm not convinced like i think i think you could probably weaponize it yeah um <laughs> especially especially series one billy piper yeah um <laughs> series four billy piper less so um, but series one, Billy Piper is just like, uh, tear your heart out and step on it. Sad. Um, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Cause, cause I look at her here and it's like, there's, there's certain things like I think about crying and other things. And you look at something like Claire Danes or, uh, Alison Hannigan, who I think are really good criers and they have like the lip thing. They have like this, this heartbreaking thing. Whereas Billy Piper just like, you just feel her just cr- <laughs> It just feels like she's cracking, like in a in a really real emotional, just like this this exterior that is this beautiful young woman is just like mm-hmm. being torn down, and she just like she just like she looks so good having cried, like she looks good having cried, like where you just you can just tell that she's been crying, and it's hard to watch and watching her fall apart again. It's like no, Rose, don't do it. Um, but she's so I mean she's so good in here, and she like because this is her story, like she's she needs to tie it down and it's fascinating because when this show started everyone was like no she's not she's not good like she's not gonna be good she's a pop star who's gonna care and she just ends up just owning things like this where it's like oh no this is why you got the job like this is why you're here and it's all Mm -hmm. beautiful like she's so amazing um She's so, so good. And, like, because at a certain point, the weight of the world's on her shoulders. She's responsible for uh, her selfishness and wanting to have a father ruins children in childhood. Like, there's just shots of kids not around anymore. Um, And she, like, she has this weight and she just carries it and she just, like, delivers it. And it's just stunning. It's a stunning performance and one of her absolute best. Um, She's so, so good. Um, mm-hmm. and God, this story is so amazing. Like, it's such a wonderful, beautiful story. Um, and so good out of context. So good out of context. Oh yeah. No, perfect. Perfect out of context. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny because the opening of this with, uh, with Jackie telling little Rose about her dad, it was very reminiscent of an episode this past season. Um, <laughs> and with the leaf and everything. And <laughs> I'm just like, man, <sighs> so much better. <laughs> it's just, it's so much tighter. Yeah. It's just so much tighter. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all, it's very specific. I mean, it's, it's cause it is the story about childhood and it opens with a bedtime story and it has a lullaby quality and it has a nightmare in it. Um, 
it's just so tonally perfect. It's such a it's it's the reason why Cornell is one of the best writers out there because he understands Doctor Who and what you can do with Doctor Who and how to imp- like implement those the wild possibilities of Doctor Who because this show can be anything and at times he has made it everything. Um and he just is like no, we open with a bedtime story about this girl who lost her father and that's that's really what like it's the framing device for the entire episode and this episode is about this girl who has to lose her father and it's i mean it's just it's brilliant it's just stunningly yeah. stunningly brilliant um mm-hmm. and i just i have i have so much respect for it i have so much respect for him i have so much respect for russell t davies who just let this story be um, I don't know how much he rewrote it, but like he let this story become something different um, than what he had intended it to be, which was low budget, uh, because he knew it was special. And it ends up just being one of the most special Doctor Who stories there is out there ever. Um, mm-hmm. It's great. I feel like um, looking at the story, like I can feel where uh, where he probably rewrote it. I uh, like because his vision of of Jackie is so distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can tell, like, I, I feel like he probably rewrote a lot of, uh, of, of Jackie and Pete. Yes. Um, just because I'd imagine like he just has a very specific vision of that. Like, like the whole, the whole windowsill invention thing, like that's, that's, that's Davies. I mean, mm-hmm. that's Davies. Cause it's just, it's ridiculous and silly and could only come out of his brain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I think that the, that Pete and Jackie the dialogue specifically probably comes from uh probably comes from Russell. Um yeah. but I, I imagine it's not nearly as, as rewritten as most things. Yeah. No, I I would I would agree. And I think that it's also that that brings me up to I guess my last point, which is um uh, it's just it's fascinating to me because you watch this show and the first time you watch this show you're just like oh who's this crazy broad who's this blonde like for lack of a better term bimbo milf chick who is kind of a cougar and I don't understand her and like I mean I say all that derogatorily because like she comes off abrasive so much early on and then by the time that she leaves you're just kind of like oh I really liked you and then you go back and rewatch it and you're just like oh I remember how hard how strong you came off when you started but I really like you now like yeah. it's fascinating like it's one of those reasons why I love Davy's characters because you can hate them and then you appreciate them, and then you go back, and you're just like, "Oh, I appreciate the, I appreciate this whole time." Don is a great example of that, where it's like the first time you watch Donna, you're like, "Ooh, you come off strong," and then by the time you finish, you're just like, "Oh, that was heartbreaking." And then you watch Runaway Bride, and it's okay. Like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's it's like I th- and I think that that is some of the best character writing on television, just because uh, making you change a character because like making you reevaluate a character and appreciate a character because you didn't understand the character. Um, and then appreciating the character in retrospect is so hard to do. And he does that so well. Um, and I just, I love it. He's like a master at that. He is, he is a master. He's, he's a, he's definitely a master. (laughs) Let's just, let's just say that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as long as we're talking about character, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Like no one writes better characters for me. Like no one, no one does it. Um, he's just so good. He's so, 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 so good. Uh, All right. Well, um, before we move on to, uh, the beast of Babylon, 
the new uh, the new ebook. Uh, this reminder that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com, where you can purchase any paperback, hardcover, omnibus, or absolute edition of thirty five to forty five percent off, and new release specials are fifty percent off every week. And remember, all orders over fifty dollars get free shipping. Go there now. The Doctor Who anniversary sale is running. All Doctor Who uh, IDW books um, are forty five percent off right now. Uh, they're normally like 30% off. So uh, it's a pretty massive jump. Um, so go, uh, go, go, go check that out. It's right on the main page. Click on it and you'll get the whole list of everything that's in stock right now um, at InStockTrades.com. Okay, so The Beast of Babylon by Charlie Higson is, uh, is the ninth Doctor story. And I had no idea what to expect from this. And um, the thing that Reading it last night, I like I I read this kind of on a whim, and I was like, "Well, I'll just start it." And uh, I actually couldn't put it down once I started it, because um, Charlie mm-hmm. Hickson is an excellent writer, um, an excellent mm-hmm. writer. <laughs> um, he, uh, I think that he captured the essence of the ninth doctor maybe better than anyone any other writer has captured any of the voices of the doctors to this point um the ninth doctor is sort of pitch perfect like to the point where he doesn't write in a northern accent like a like a mark twain kind of thing he doesn't do that but he he uh writes the dialogue in such a way where i'm hearing the northern accent anyway um and and it's just like I hear mm-hmm. Eccleston with every line of dialogue. I can tell exactly how he's gonna how he would perform it, how he would say it, uh, the cadence in his voice, everything. It's amazing. Uh, it's excellent and mm-hmm. it's really fun. I, I I I love the reveal of the fact that Allie, this companion that Eccleston picks up, is uh, is actually like an alien monster. <laughs> She's like a crab. She's like a she's like a macra. Like. Yeah, she's a, yeah. She's basically like a little macra, um, mm-hmm. and and you don't know that until she leaves the TARDIS halfway through the story, mm-hmm. and that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so good. Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's awesome, and I love where it takes place in continuity. He, mm-hmm. he finds a perfect little place to set down this story in continuity. And it's just, it works ingeniously. Um, and the story really just becomes about like in Rose at the end of Rose, Rose turns down the doctor and the, and the TARDIS disappears and then immediately comes back and he says, did I mention it also travels in time? This is the story about him coming to the realization that he should, he should, he should sell harder on her becoming a companion. So he mm-hmm. disappears the first time, has this adventure and then comes back and says, did I also mention it travels in time? And then, and then gets Rose as a companion. Mm-hmm. It like, it's, it's kind of perfect. Um, and I really love this a lot. My, my only issue with it is that I couldn't really get a handle on what the Starman creature was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little confused about that. And uh, Babylon as a setting, not my favorite thing. But for the most part, I thought, like, from a character standpoint and everything, like, I thought this was uh, outstanding. Yeah. No, this is this is one of my three favorites, yeah. if not my favorite. Um, yeah. 
uh, and like I, I walked in and I, I didn't know, especially because Spore was a bit of a letdown. Um, I, I just, I didn't know what it was going to be about. I heard that I'd heard that there was a character called Allie who was going to be the companion, um, and that Rose and Mickey were involved somehow. Um, <clears throat> but it was interesting because you know Higson was it, the implication of that is that Higson was giving a new companion. So like I kind of walked in knowing that he was going to do a new companion, and I loved. Like, I, I love the reveal. I love the slow burn of it. Like, despite the fact that this is only 40 pages, and I think this was the longest of the ones that we've done so far. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And it was... Um, and it was uh, dense on top of very, everything else. Very dense, but not in a way that felt overwhelming. Like, you know, they don't get to Babylon until chapter four, which is almost halfway through the story. Um, mm-hmm. b- but I didn't really care um, at all. Uh, and it was just really, really, really stunning. And it was really beautiful. And it was really like, you have this guy who's joining in with this girl and he is... um I don't know. Like he just he picks her up because he's like, I need her on this mission. Um, and then he's like, Well, you're also crazy. And and sh- and she goes and does that, and it's really like, and she totally goes nuts. And you and like when, the first time she kills someone, you're just like, you're just like, oh well, she she uh she she's not gonna be a companion for very long. And she is aware <laughs> that he's <laughs> that, that and not she's aware but he's aware that she's not going to be a companion for very long but he does keep her around and it is one of those things where it's like it's believable that she gets in the TARDIS it's believable that she leaves it's believable that she's here for this one adventure it's believable that it's a great adventure and I, and I swear to you when, when you get to the end and she's just like and she didn't see him for many many years until the hounds of hell were on his tail I was just like Charlie Hickson please come back and write me another one like because I'm so interested to see what that story is like yeah I, I really, I really want to know. Um, but I thought, oh, I thought this was great. Like, it's great. It's great use of narration, great use of POV, mm-hmm. great use of like great uh, dialogue, great prose styling, um, beautiful I knew, opening. I knew, yeah, the opening especially. Like, I knew it was going to be good. Like by the first paragraph. Like I oh, read yeah. the first paragraph, and it was just like the first time she saw the doctor was, da, 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 da. and I was like, oh Jesus, this is yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. it was, it, I mean, it was good enough, like where, I mean, you know, you're more in this world right now than I am. Uh, cause I haven't, I haven't started my reread yet, but it really almost felt like JK Rowling yeah. um, in its, in its like mix of, of, uh, whimsical writing about realism. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, where everything that J.K. Rowling writes about, it, it she describes in a very whimsical fashion, but she's also looking at things very realistically and pragmatically, and that's yes. how I feel like that's what this that's what that's what Charlie um, uh, Hickson. Like, Hickson. I kept yeah. wanting to go go uh, Hunnam, and that's the wrong person. Um, <laughs> Charlie Hunnam wrote this. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Charlie Hickson. Um, and and like it's just it's really really phenomenal prose phenomenal dialogue yes. it's paced really really well um i was just really impressed by this one a lot i mean it was a corker like it's a real like it's a real corker and really thrilling great action like a great action set piece and the sort of thing where it's like you can't do this on tv um mm. And and it reminds me a lot of something like Tip of the Tongue, where it's like one of the reasons I love Tip of the Tongue, which was the fifth Doctor one, is because like they have those 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 uh, tongue leeches that make you tell the truth, right. and um, 
that's the sort of thing where it's like, I can imagine it being done on television, but it's also really great in prose. It's probably better in prose. This mm-hmm. is the story where it's like, you can't do this on TV. It's too big budget. It's too massive. It's too sweeping. Um, you can't do, you can't do Alley effectively. There's no way. Um, mm-hmm. but it's also like, I mean, it's wonderful. It's a great, great short story. And I, oh my God, I love this so much. I love this so, 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 so much. Um, Oh God! I was I was blown away. I was just blown away. Uh, I think we find yeah. out next week who writes uh, ten. Yeah, we finally have caught up. <laughs> we, yeah. we, fi- we finally got off after being behind by like three doctors. Uh, yeah, we're finding out they release author info on the first Tuesday of the month. So we're gonna find out next Tuesday who the tenth doctor is. No, and we're, we're going finding to- out on. We're f- actually as of this release, we find out tomorrow. How great is yeah. that? That's great. Yeah, Tuesday um, is the first. So that's 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 nuts. Um, <laughs> rent is due. Um, but <laughs> the the uh, the thing I think that's really exciting is like we're caught up and we only have two more of these and the two that were the only the only place that's left to do them is uh, the tenth Doctor one we will be doing with our countdown when we do our tenth Doctor story to kick off that countdown um, leading up to the fiftieth and then on the eleventh for the eleventh Doctor we'll be doing that with Day of the Doctor. So. Um, that's the plan. Anyway, because an episode, Jesus, that's that's gonna be a nutso episode. A two hour, <laughs> a two hour drinking fest. It'll be great. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so great stuff, and we finally caught up. And I, oh my god, I'm I'm like I'm still hoping against hope that they get rolling for one of these. Like that would be so crazy. But I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll no, see. it's not gonna happen. There's no way. Um, I, have, I have hope, my friend. She's a big Holly. She's a big Hollywood screenwriter now. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and it's a forty-page story. <laughs> eh, still not going to happen. Exactly. Why? I mean, why waste your time? Okay, so next week we're going to talk about Peter Davison and Modern on Dead. On the other side of that, uh, the Invasion of Time. Oh my God, we're already um, on the Invasion of Time. Fourth Doctor story. Oh my God. Survival, um, the last ever classic Who story, and then we start our uh, 10 to 1 countdown to the 50th anniversary, which we'll be releasing two episodes a week. Exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, in the meantime, uh, you can listen to our other podcasts. Make sure you're checking out the Mind Robbers Versus as well as the Mind Robbers. Um, and then also uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash Scott Corelli. Also Scott Commentary where I live tweet things usually by random. Uh, Matt. You can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Gungan and also my alternate Twitter account, twitter.com slash GD Commentary where I live tweet things like the OC um, whenever I decide to do that, which has been more and more recent, more and more frequent lately, which is nice. Um, also my blog, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com, where you can read what I thought of, say, Modern and Dead or the Invasion of Time ahead of our uh, discussion of them here. Also, every classic Doctor Who story that there is. Uh, and that'll be great. So do that. Yay! Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk to you next week with Peter Davis and Modern and Dead. Bye. Bye. Bye.